Zig coming in on the top. Today we have an epic interview, one too epic to do by myself. So I have with me my musical partner in crime, Dakota Michael Kroos. Yes, and today on the Zig at the Gig podcast, we are here to interview Townsend Coleman, voice acting extraordinaire. You may know him from such roles as... Teen Wolf on Teen Wolf. Gobo and Wrench Doozer on the Fraggle Rock cartoon. Waldo from Where's Waldo? Jason Whitaker on Adventures in Odyssey. The Tick from The Tick. And of course, the one and only Michelangelo from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Ninja Turtles Turtles cartoon. That's right. The show that started it all for me and Dave where we began our Turtles obsession. And, and ninja obsession, obsession. And for everyone, the word cowabunga is now in the zeitgeist, thanks to this guy in this voice. Yes, as we have told all the listeners before, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are the biggest influence on our band, and it was such an honor and privilege to be able to speak to one of the original voices. It was some, it's, so, it's so weird to talk with the guy from your childhood, you know what I mean? That's such a weird thing to experience right and we had such an epic conversation with him oh he was so generous with his time and his insight and he just when we get into it you're gonna notice he jumps in the characters and it's it's the coolest thing ever so epic he is also a, a cleveland local so we spent a lot of time speaking about the history of cleveland and things like that he got his start on cleveland radio and when we went to it, I thought I did enough research to know the one station he was at, but he was at a million stations. So the the train of, of his journey has so many different tracks, and it's amazing that the one that you think he thought wouldn't be his big break, which was his voice acting, is what we all know him for. And to hear him describe this journey and to be willing to take every chance on anything to make it work is such an inspiring story. And we're going to get into that. We're going to let him explain that. Um, before we do that, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to any of the podcasts on any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Townsend. And without further ado, please enjoy our deep and insightful conversation with Townsend Coleman. Yeah. But I wanted to kind of get into your history wasn't always with voice acting. It was with acting, right? Well, uh, yeah, correct. I mean, I started acting when I was in, uh, uh, like, junior high school. Yeah? Like, late elementary. Yeah, junior high school, basically. Yeah. And was it, like, through, yeah. a, was it through like, um, school? Like, was it, like, a drama club or was it musicals? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't do any musicals when I was in, uh, in high school. Uh, I started doing musicals when I was uh, a DJ on the radio there in Cleveland. Yeah? Yeah. So jumping from acting to radio work, where, how was that transition? Was it through, through doing plays and radio work opened up? Because like, to, to do drama, you have to be able to throw your voice. You got to breathe from the diaphragm and be able to carry that. So was there like a, a point during doing drama that clicked <laughs> you sound very technical there very technically minded about about breathing from the diaphragm uh <laughs> yeah no you know it sort of all kind of came together uh, I, I don't remember i mean I, listen i went off to college at the you know because i grew up there in cleveland and yeah. uh 
Yeah, over on the east side in Cleveland Heights, and uh, and went to high school there, of course, uh, um, uh, uh, to a, a, a private boys prep school out, way out in Huntington, uh, Huntington, Huntington. Listen to me, Hunting Valley. Um, actually, in Shaker Heights, I was in junior high in uh, at this school called University School, and then uh, was in high school. Uh, at their newer campus way back when, when I was, you know, still out there in the uh, 70s, uh, late 60s and early 70s. And uh, that was out in Hunting Valley. And um, yeah, so that's where I started really, you know, getting involved in theater, but but real interest in radio too, because my dad used to be on the radio back when I was a kid yeah. and we lived in Denver. Yeah. So that's where the whole kind of radio thing came from. So when I went out to school in uh, Boulder, Colorado, at the uh, University of Colorado there, I went out as an architect major, um, and that lasted all of about two minutes, and I changed to to theater, which is what I wanted to do to begin with, but my mom had said, you know, if if I'm going to pay for college for you, you're going to, you know, go study something you can get a job in, and I'm like, well, okay, um, <laughs> but I really want to be an actor, and uh, so she kind of put the kibosh on that. But I went out there, and and after changing my major anyway while I was out at school, I uh, I I switched to being a, a theater major and uh, did a lot of theater out there over the course of two years, and then um, and then quit school after two years, and and that was that. So I mean that's really where the theater stuff really kind of gelled for me. But at the same time, I also hung out at the radio station on campus too, and. And, uh, you know, sort of got, you know, that side of me, my my uh, creative side going and uh, had the foresight back then to get a, a uh, an FCC first class uh, radio license, which back in those days you needed in order to get a job at a radio station. And so in 1974, when I uh, quit college and went home, uh, came back to Cleveland, I... Uh, I went down, I applied for this job at a radio station that was changing formats. And uh, just miraculously, this this program director hired me at this radio station. Uh, it was called K, uh, uh, WKSW back then. Um, I don't know what it is now. Uh, it it was 99.5 on the, on the dial. So whatever that, you know, whatever stations on that frequency, that's what it was. But but it was changing from WNCR at the time, which was a big rock station, and I was a big fan of it. And uh, it was right at the same time that WMMS was starting. And uh, yeah, and and so it was a very cool time to kind of break into radio. And I ended up working at uh, like five different radio stations over ten years. Um, there, in mostly in Cleveland. Uh, in 1978, I spent the uh, year of 1978 and early 79. Uh, down in Akron at uh, WCUE, I was doing morning drive down there. Um, but then I was at G98 after that in 79, and and then uh, went over from there to uh, what became what was Zip 106 uh, back in 1981, and uh, then that changed to WLTF, and I don't know what their call letters are now. It's 106. Is 106? We we called it 106 and a half. Light Rock 106 and a half is what it was called back then. And uh, and so that 10 years that I spent on the radio was, I was also doing a lot of local theater in town uh, at the time too. Uh, some good, some not so good. Um, 
But the last show that I did was uh, out of Baldwin Wallace uh, College for Berea Summer Theater. Oh, cool. uh, in 1982, I did uh, Pirates Penzance. Nice. And uh, and was the role of Fred uh, acted and sang the role of Frederick uh, in that, and I had a blast. That was uh, a ton of fun. Um, that was the last show that I did in Cleveland on stage. Um, but it was during those years that I was on the radio in Cleveland that I discovered freelance voiceover work. And at the last station that I was at, actually at a couple of stations I was at, I was a production director. And at that last station I was at uh, was the production director, which meant that I was responsible for um, voicing and recording all the local um, uh, radio spots for the local um, uh, advertisers who would be advertising on a radio station. So I spent a lot of time recording spots, but also getting spots in on, this is back in the days of reel-to-reel, uh, uh, five-inch, you know, reel-to-reel tapes, and that would come in from ad agencies and production companies all around the country. And as I would get these tapes in, and then I have to transfer them from reel-to-reel onto what we call cart, um, and those are long gone too, because all that tape and silly stuff has gone away and, you know, favorite computers, of course. But... Um, Back in those days, that was my job. So, so I would hear all these great national announcers on these radio spots that would come in, and I'd be transferring over to CART. And, and I was f- just fascinated by all of that. And so that then I started getting freelance voiceover work in Cleveland myself after a couple of years and discovering that there were uh, advertising agencies in Cleveland who were willing to pay me you know, good cash money for voicing their commercials apart from the radio station where I didn't get any extra money for voicing spots. It was just part of my job. So after about five years of that, I ended up making more money a year doing the freelance voiceover stuff than I was working six days a week at the radio station. And I thought this doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So, so I quit the radio station, got out of my radio career, was just going to freelance in Cleveland and, uh, and, uh, like Detroit and Pittsburgh, you know, sort of the Midwest area there, um, and get agents in each of those, um, markets and just try and really make my, uh, my freelance voiceover stuff, uh, the basis for my career. Um, but then shortly after this in the summer of 84, shortly after I quit that last radio station, I was at, uh, I got a call from the the landlord of, of the house that we were renting. My wife and I had three kids at the time. And uh, and he said that he was selling the house and we had to be out by the end of September of 84. And I thought, look, I, I hate moving. And if I, and I've always wanted to go to either New York or LA and pursue this acting thing. And I had just turned 30 at the time. And I thought, you know, I've quit radio. And if I've got to pack up my house and, and actually physically move my stuff to another domicile. I, I, you know, I'll be, I'll be darned if I'm going to move across town. I'm, I'm going to move either to New York or LA and take a, a stab at it. So I went out to LA uh, just after the Olympics of 84 and, um, and looked around, found a little place to live out here. And two weeks later, we were living here, moved in over Labor Day weekend of 84 and kind of never looked back. But I left a lot in Cleveland. I mean, you know, I'd, my wife had family there and, of course, had a lot of friends there and my radio pals. Um, but I was also still doing a lot of work. I mean, I was um, hosting a nationally syndicated dance show uh, that I was flying down to Atlanta uh, every other weekend 
to tape. We'd do two shows on a on a Saturday, and then I'd fly home on Sunday. And I did that every other weekend for about a year. Uh, I was pulling the Ohio lottery numbers on TV every <laughs> night for a year. Yeah. Uh, I was doing a lot of modeling, um, for, you know, for um, local store, you know, May Company and Higby's and stuff like that in Cleveland. And, uh, and, and, and I also was doing live spots for Channel 5. Back in those days, they used to have a show on the air called the Afternoon, Ex- Afternoon Exchange. And I, would, and I would go out and do like live bits with bands. And I would, in, wow. I, I would interview bands, you know, at clubs and stuff live on Channel 5. And so there was, so I was doing that, you know, so I was, I was just doing anything I could think to do in Cleveland in the entertainment business. Like you guys are in a band, you know, and you just keep, you just keep pumping away at it, you know? And, and, uh, and it's all, it's all I was doing back then too. You know, I was early twenties and, um, you just wanted to, just wanted to be involved in the entertainment business any way that I could. So yeah, so that's all that I was doing back then. So, I mean, that's all just a little background, a little history of kind of my Cleveland days, but how I was doing radio and voiceover work and uh, on-camera TV commercials and theater, uh, stage work, you know, modeling. I mean, anything that I could do. So it was all sort of in this, you know, one big basket of, of uh, just entertainment stuff. But it's also where I got into the union. I got into to AFTRA. Um, in 1977, when I was on the radio there, uh, I got into SAG a couple of years, um, uh, like two years later in like 79 or 80 from doing some, uh, network, some national network TV spots on camera, uh, in Cleveland. And then in 1983, I, I was on stage, uh, understudying, um, Robert Urich in a play for John Kenley at Kenley Players in Akron one summer. Uh, in in '83, understudying for Robert Urich in Barefoot in the Park, and that's where I got my equity card. So that's when I got my professional actors, uh, stage actors card. So yeah, all that happened in Cleveland, you know. So so growing up in Cleveland, I love Cleveland. Loved it then, love it now. I was just back, you guys. So so don't laugh at me when you look at me. This is how old I am. But so I was just back in Cleveland back in in May yeah. for my 50th high school reunion. Nice. <laughs> yeah. How'd that so go? So that was it was great, yeah. you know. So I, you know, saw a bunch of my old pals from, you know, back in the late 60s and early 70s. It's, you know. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you the famous yeah. guy that moved to LA to all of them? <laughs> well, I you know, I I don't know about that. I think a number of them were a little curious about my career and, you know, kind of how I went from doing what I was doing in Cleveland to, uh, you know, to all my cartoon work and, and voiceover work out here. Yeah. So speaking on uh, Cleveland, I was curious, do you remember your first um, concert like that you went to in Cleveland as a kid or if it was in Cleveland? Yeah. You know, listen, let me, let me think about that. I remember, you know, bunches of concerts that I saw, but, but, no, I don't, I don't remember my first one. I, you know, I remember, I remember seeing, I just, I, I remember just seeing a, a bunch of bands out at, you know, Blossom and, and, uh, and downtown uh, too. Back in those days, they, they had concerts uh, downtown. Uh, I want to say, 
Oh, I don't remember where it was. Not the arena, but some some. And it wasn't at it wasn't at the stadium. Uh, Coliseum. Was some big? Yeah, it was at the Coliseum. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, That's cool. We just yeah. went to Blossom um, a week ago to see Wu Tang Clan, who <laughs> who did the theme song for the new Shredder's Revenge game. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, have you guys played that game? I actually played it last night. Uh, my my little brother's a big gamer, and he brought it over, and we played it, and um, it was epic. It was so cool. It was so much <laughs> like an old arcade game, but more right. modern. And like, uh, right. of course, I I played as Michelangelo, and I I'm not Thank very you? I'm not very good at video games, so um, I was getting my butt kicked most of the time. And the line I think you say when that happens is like. Oh, dudes, I'm running out of gas. <laughs> and he just kept saying that over and over again. <laughs> oh, dudes, I'm running out of gas. <laughs> but the game is awesome. Sorry, sorry, sorry Cody. There, yeah. Uh, I, you know, listen, I'm not a gamer either, so I haven't played it. But boy, going to all these cons and stuff, uh, and talking to folks who who have played it, and and uh, they all say the same thing that it's. You know, it's such a great throwback to like those video early video games of the eighties. It's almost it's even animated similar to the TV show, like the the scenes yeah. and stuff or everything. Yeah. It really feels like the old cartoon. Right, right, yeah. That's that's what I hear, and certainly from the pictures and from the videos of gameplay that I've I've seen and stuff, it sure looks like that. Yeah, I think it looks awesome. Yeah, I would listen. I was just, I was just thrilled, you know, by the fact that they actually used us original voices yeah, on the game sure. because you know, in all these years <laughs> since we recorded the series, um, and 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 for those of you who who may be watching this and and aren't aware, we sort of jumped into this real fast. I, so I was the voice of Michelangelo on the original uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video, uh, not video game, um, absolutely, uh, cartoon, cartoon uh, back in the. Uh, uh, yeah, late '80s and and uh, early '90s. Uh, anyway, so so uh, what was I going to say? Help me out, Dave. Help me out. What, I was just about to you're, say. Yeah, I think you're nailing. Home oh, so what I was going to so what I was going to say is, in all these years since we did the cartoon, all the video games that they've done since then, they, not one of them ever used us original voices on. And so this is the first time <laughs> that that there's a, a Ninja Turtles video game that they actually used the original voices for the Ninja Turtles. So it's a, thank you for that very much. Yeah, I think between that and the Wu Tang song, it's that's like got the super hype going, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 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 Thanks. How was it um, voicing Michelangelo in a video game? You know, compared to on TV. Uh, well, it was great, and and certainly after all these years, to still have some relevance. I mean, that feels good. Uh, but in terms of actually voicing him, um, it was. I mean, there was zero difference between you know doing the game, doing the cartoon all those years ago, and doing the game. You know, because you know, because I I can still do the voice. And it's just a matter of reading lines. The only difference with this was we didn't actually have a, a physical script. Uh, all the lines were on a TV monitor. And it was interesting because when you do video games, um, uh, and of course with the you know pandemic being what it's been the last like two, three years, um, it, so much is done on Zoom now, you know? And so when when I went in, there were 
uh, aside from the uh, recording engineer who was on the other side of the glass for me, I was down at a studio in Santa Monica. Um, uh, but the the other three um, cats, the uh, the creator, the writer, and uh, and the director, were all in uh, three separate locations. One was uh, here in L.A. The director was here in L.A. But the other two folks um, uh, who were with the, the two companies who were producing this thing, uh, it's like I think one was in Canada and the other was in I want to say he was in France. Um, yeah, but they were all on screen with me at the same time watching. And, and then on this screen, uh, were all my lines and the way they do it in video games is, is you've just got either a, a, a physical paper script or, or of just your lines, uh, and, and, or it's on a screen in front of you on a monitor. And in this case, I was just reading the lines off a monitor. So so yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, they'll tell you what the setup is, kind of what the feel for that line is, um, what it's referring to uh, when it says, oh man, I'm running out of gas <laughs> or you're running out of gas or whatever, whatever he says, uh, they'll tell you what the setup is for it and what you're responding to. And so then you give them like, you know, three or four takes of that and then boom, you move on to the next line and they, they do the same thing with that. So yeah. It was great. That's awesome. Much quicker and easier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, my gosh. I mean, if I was in the studio 45 minutes, it, it was long. You know, back in back in the days when we were recording the, the series, those are four-hour-long sessions, typically. Sometimes they wouldn't go that long. But, um, but yeah, but, but in that case, uh, when we were recording the series – uh, we're all in the studio at the same time together so that so that y you really get a roll on this episode from start to finish and you're all bouncing off of each other so it makes sense and then the vo the voice director the dialogue director who's in the booth um he or she uh, she in the case of ninja turtles it was sue blue um you know will will tell you what the setup for a particular line is because you don't get the writer's script uh, you get just the the recording script, which is just everyone's lines. So there's no direction written down really at all. So you need the you need the director to tell you what's going on in that particular scene or at that particular moment in a scene. So, so uh, yeah. So in, in in but in the case of a video game, they go much much quicker. And it also depends on how many lines you have. You know, if you happen to be a character who has you know, 200 lines in a video game or more, uh, you're going to be there a lot longer than half an hour, you know, but in the case of uh, Shredder's Revenge, I don't know exactly how many lines I had, but, but I think, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, probably, uh, 40 maybe 40 or 50 well i only um, heard um, the one because like i said I <laughs> <laughs> sorry dude you're gonna just have to play it a whole lot more <laughs> well my little brother is like a master gamer yeah. and yeah. the only time i play games is with him and he just whoops me every time no matter what game it is yeah right right i get it hey listen i'd be the same you know i it's like my kids and my grandkids they're uh they're the gamers and of course if they want me to you know, try and join them. <laughs> Listen, Mario Kart's hard for me. <laughs> you know, so 
Yeah, so yeah, it, it yeah, hurts I, my I eyes. It. it hurts my fingers. I don't know how I did it when I was younger. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So when you're recording in a session, like with a with a group, and you're bouncing off each other, like what would be like the kind of cut to refer back? Would it be like you run through a whole line of dialogue, and then you kind of reflect on the direction that's given, or would it be kind of like doing like a whole run of like a an episode? Does that make sense? Like, is it a lot of cuts nope. in between? Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't. I, I'm not qu quite. I'm I not get, quite tracking with what you're asking. So before the director tells you what's happening, like right. to the character, is that like per like how many chunks of dialogue? Is that just with one character's interaction, or is that for like a whole scene? Well, again, we each we all have the same script with everybody's lines on it, okay. all the characters. So when we get to a session, first thing we do is they hand us our scripts, and then we either take a pencil and circle our, you know, we go through page by page and circle uh, each of our lines, uh, or take a yellow highlighter and highlight your lines, depending on you know what you prefer, and um, and that way you can sort of read through the script. So you you take the first twenty or thirty minutes of a session. Um, as you're, you know, drinking your coffee and eating your donuts and chatting with everybody, and you go through your script, so you can see where, kind of, where the story is going in that episode, all okay. the way through. Yeah, and uh, and and so then when everybody's done that, um, you know, we all then go into the studio proper, sit at our mic, and they've got all the mics set up, sort of in a semicircle, you know, with a copy stand at each mic and a chair, of course. Uh, unless uh, the actor happens to want to, um, you know, work standing up, which many people do. And um, and then it's a matter of just, you know, starting to record at the beginning of the script and you just, just start going through and act your lines, you know, until they the director tells you to stop. Maybe she'll have you back up. Um, all voice directors, all the dialogue directors that I've worked with over the years um, – pretty much work that way. They sort of work linearly, <laughs> uh, sort of start to finish um, through the episode. And then typically we'll go back and do another full pass of the whole episode. Some directors like uh, Gordon Hunt over at uh, the old Hanna-Barbera used to, used to have a very interesting way of doing it. He, he would just want to, he'd want to get in and out in an hour. Boom. And so that's it. And so, uh, he would, he would stop, he would, he would make notes about lines that he wanted to pick up, but he would basically go through the whole thing. In fact, now that I think about it, I think he wanted to try and get out in half an hour. <laughs> uh, I, I know that Gordon just wanted to, he was like a machine over there. Uh, that's Helen Hunt's dad. And, um, and he was the casting director and, and the uh, dialogue director at Hanna-Barbera for years and, uh, was, was just an amazing guy. And, um, but, but really it was like a factory over there. They just, you know, crank these things out. And so he would get a, you know, casts just in and out, boom, um, in like an hour. And so, and so, uh, so what he would do is he would get through the whole episode and then go back and just do certain pickups of a line or two that your character needed to get. Uh, and he'd do that for each of the actors and then boom, you were done. Um, uh, I don't think he ever went back and just like recorded the whole thing one more time, start to finish. But that's typically the way uh, they used to do it. Now it's also been a you know 
number of years, you know, since I've been really involved in animation any longer. So I'm not quite sure how they, you know, they're doing it these days. I'm, you know, I know that things changed a lot with um, the pandemic, you know, and they were trying to do people over Zoom and, you know, using uh, using Source Connect or using IPDTL or, you know, one of these uh, platforms where you can get high quality audio going from, from home to studio. Um, but, uh, but, um, but, 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 yeah, so, so that's, you know, typically how, how it was done. That's fascinating. It's, it's mm-hmm. interesting. It's like such like a, it's compared to a band to be like, record the song and let's go back and go over the bridge or go over the chorus, you know, run that again. Um, right. That's, um, or, or to be like, record the whole song. Right. And then go back and just record the whole song again. <laughs> and, and just do that twice. Yeah. And then just take the pieces of each of those two takes that you liked and, you know, just marry them together, splice them together. It's very interesting, so. the parallels between uh, music and acting, specifically voice acting. You, uh, you mentioned moving to L.A. from Cleveland with your three kids and just your demo. And to me, mm-hmm. that just spells rock and roll. That is pretty That's like a classic story. Cleveland <laughs> rock and roll story. <laughs> It was, listen, it was, I, it, I guess, I, looking back, you know, I, I, I suppose I've always, you know, been a person who's willing to take some risk, you know, because I think no risk, no reward, right? right. But, uh, but at the same time, it wasn't like I just launched out on my own and just made this decision. Now, I did make the decision to quit radio, but that was in favor of doing the freelance voiceover work. But I wasn't just going to up and leave Cleveland for L.A. or New York, you know, unless I had a really good reason to go. The really good reason to go was that my the house I was living in was getting sold and I had to move. <laughs> the ultimate so, kick in you know, the butt. I, I, right, exactly. So I, I often think if I look back and I think, boy, what would, what would my life and my career have looked like if that house never got sold? I, you know, would I still still be renting it, you know, 30, 38 years later or something, you know, but I don't think I would have had the guts to just up and move my family out to L.A. without, you know, knowing. I mean, I know I knew it that at the time I knew like two people out here and uh, and I just don't know that I would have done it. But being forced to actually pack up and move a household, I thought, why not? You know, and uh you know, it seemed like all the all the the signs were sort of lining up. The stars were kind of lining up for that move. And during that summer, it was crazy because I had two friends in Cleveland uh, who I ran into uh, during that summer of '84. I ran into them separately. Okay, these completely just individual um, events that happened, and 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 I hadn't seen either of these guys for for a while. And both of them said to me, because both of them, one had already moved out here to L.A. And the other was in the process of moving out. And so w- the first the first one uh, was a gentleman named Stu Levin, uh, who used to be on Channel 5 out there as the movie uh, reviewer on the Channel 5 News. Uh, and, uh, and, and he was also an actor and a director himself. And he and his wife, Carol, were moving out to uh, to LA that summer. And Stu said to me, you know, Townsend, Carol and I have talked and, and of all the people we know in Cleveland who ought to be in LA, y- y- you're the one whose name keeps coming up. 
And I'm like, really? Wow, cool. Interesting. Now that I know that I've got to make a physical move, I'm sort of thinking about maybe moving out to LA. Well, you should. And then this other buddy of mine, a guy named Will Ryan, who with his buddy Phil Barron had, uh, um, they were Clevelanders as well. And, uh, and Will was actually, I met Will actually at this radio station that I first, that I got my first job at. After he was there, they were changing formats. But so I met Will and I ran into him out of Kane Park, um, the summer theater over yeah. there in Cleveland Heights. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Will said to me exactly the same thing. He said, you know, Will and I, uh, or rather Phil and I, we've moved out to LA. We're doing our Willio and Filio thing out there. And, and of all the people that we know in Cleveland, um, your name keeps coming up. You should be in LA, uh, Will would say. And I'm like, wow, that's the second person now who said this, this summer, I think I got to go out to LA and take a look around. So I did. And that's what I was saying. You know, I found a little place to to, to rent out here. And t literally two weeks later, because I went out after the 84 Olympics and two weeks later over um, uh, Labor Day weekend, I was I was pulling in uh, with another Cleveland buddy of mine, a, a guy named Jim Brickman, um, uh, who 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 I had known since he was 15 and was a, was a music director in a play that I did yeah. at a, uh, yeah, out, out in uh, Cleveland Heights or university Heights, uh, uh, um, um, for, uh, the Heights youth theater. And I was at a radio station in Cleveland Heights called, uh, disco 92 at the time. It was W L Y T. I, I don't know what it is now. 92.3 is the, is the number on the dial, but, so in 76 and 77, I was out, out there doing, uh, doing uh, morning drive uh, at this radio station. Well, I, at first I was doing evenings, uh, seven to midnight and then morning drive. And, and, and Jerry Leonard, the, the, the guy who, was, uh, who had created this Heights Youth Theater, that is what made me want to be an actor when I was in fourth grade. Because in fourth grade, going to Roxborough Elementary in Cleveland Heights, I, we took uh, – we took a class trip to go see a, a production of Peter Pan. And I was so enamored by this whole thing. That's what made me decide I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be on stage one day. And so that was in fourth grade. So the same guy, Jerry Leonard, when I'm now an adult and I'm 23 and, and working on the radio in Cleveland Heights, uh, invited me to be in one of these Heights Youth Theater productions as an adult, because they would occasionally use adults. And and it turned out that the music director for this, uh, it was called the Reluctant Dragon, and I was the dragon in this big dragon suit. But the but the kid who was the the music director of the band that played um, was was Jimmy Brickman, Jim Brickman, who has since gone on to you know great fame and fortune, uh, and is back there in Cleveland now. Um, but I met Jimmy when he was 15. And, uh, you know, we became um, real close friends. And, uh, and so Jimmy helped me drive my car out from Cleveland to L.A. Uh, over Labor Day weekend, just before Labor Day weekend of 1984. And, uh, and that's how I ended up out here. So it's a, it's a huge jump. It's an epic story. <laughs> yeah, I'll check.
one thing that's interesting about Cleveland is how close knit it is, you know. And like, if you have mm-hmm. like that bug to do a thing, you can find all the all the ways to get into all those different fields, and you meet those yes. guys. They're like, I'm yes. doing it too. Yeah, well, well, dude. To your point. So when I was in high school, and I was I either in tenth or eleventh grade, I don't remember, but but I I, I, I called. There used to be a, a radio station uh, there back in those days, and when I was you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen, just starting to listen to the radio, and it was all you know AM top forty uh, stuff. It was called Wixie twelve sixty, and back when I was in um, yeah, like I said, tenth or eleventh grade. Uh, I called, I just looked in the phone book, got their phone number and I called Wixie and I told them, I, I asked them if I could come down and, and just watch what they do down there. Could I watch a, a DJ on the air? And the school that I was going to, uh, university school was a very progressive, um, uh, you know, private boys prep school and they had a lot of money and would get all these cool things. And at the time, they got the very first um, portable videotape recorder. This is back when it was black and white. It was reel to reel. They were seven inch, you know, seven inch, uh, half inch tape, black and white in this big 40 pound, you know, deck that you had to, you know, load the tape on manually. And, And then it was connected to a camera by this, you know, big fat cable. Uh, that had this little tiny TV in it, you know, that was a monitor. It was the most insane thing. I mean, this is like I said, 1970 or 71 or so. And, uh, and, 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 and what our school would do is they would allow, you know, any of us boys to check this thing out, like checking a book out of the library to use, you know, to go do a project or something interesting. It was just another way for us to learn cool stuff. So I borrowed this. I checked it out this this deck and i took it down to wixie 1260 and i actually <laughs> um showed up with this big videotape recorder over my shoulder and met the dj on the air down there his name was chuck dunaway and 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 he invited me into the on-air studio i got to chat with him uh you know while he he he, he while a record was you know running and then uh, and then he you know put up his finger say hold on and and then he opened the mic and would do his thing on the air and then close the mic and then turn right back to me and we'd start chatting again. It was the most insane thing, you know. And when you're like a 16-year-old kid or 17-year-old kid, that is like, are you kidding me? This is <laughs> I, this is like magic. I This is what I want to do. And, uh, and, you know, and so I got to, you know, video record him uh, while I was on the air. And so I had no idea whatever happened to that tape. <laughs> I just remember him going, so so you're recording, you're video recording on that thing? And I, I said, yeah. He says, oh, okay, here, watch this. And, and he goes, he, he pulls his pants down and moons me, <laughs> you know, on, on the video. I'm like, great, what am I going to do with this thing now? So, but, uh, but took it back to the school and, and showed the other guys. And, and uh, it, it, was, it, was a big, it was a big hit back then. But I also called up, this is when W, so WMMS and WNCR were just getting started at the same time. And I called WNCR up and asked them if I could do the same thing, not with a video camera, but if I could just come down and, and talk to them. And so, uh, you know, I met Billy Bass down there and this guy who was on in the, in the evening, his name was Tree. And it was a real tall guy, which is why they called him Tree. And um, this guy and I, we, we hit it off. 
And he let me come down and answer request lines when I was like 16. And so I would go down in the evening down to downtown Cleveland uh, and, uh, and answer the request lines on, on, on WNCR uh, when they were just getting going. Um, so that was a blast. So yes, to your point, it, Cleveland was one of those towns where, and certainly I think maybe it was easier back in those days than it might be now. I don't know. But uh, back in those days, it was the kind of place where, you, you know, if there was something you wanted to find out about or go do or somebody you wanted to meet, you could just call them up. You could just open the phone book, get their number, call them. And, you know, nine times out of 10, they'd be like, sure, come on down, you know, happy to meet you, you know. Of course, it was all about relationships, you know, and being a, a you know, a decent person so that you weren't going to, you know, scare them off. Or moon them. But, uh, or, or, <laughs> or moon them, right? Well, I guess you, you, you got to wait until you're big and famous on the radio and to be able to do that. But uh, I was going to ask, like, was that like the Peter Pan of radio experiences? But then he said he mooned you. <laughs> like, yeah, see right. See someone jump into character that quickly. Um, right. That's amazing. It and I I will say I believe it's still there's still that spirit in Cleveland that if you know someone oh. and you come at it they'll let you in and show you around. I would think so. It's, yeah, I would think so. Sure. Was it um so kind of uh, on that radio topic like when you're recording yourself and you're cutting these clips and really like I mean I guess if you're taking requests at 16 you're really hearing your voice and like was that did that make it easy to act with it because you were hearing it back so much yeah but don't uh don't get me wrong um uh, yeah i didn't mean to imply that i was on the radio right at 16 i wasn't oh all i was doing up. was going okay. i caught I, no that. i wasn't even queuing i wasn't even queuing up all i was there was just answering the request lines mm -hmm. the phone so the the dj on the air his name was tree so he was the guy okay, who was actually spinning the records and opening the you mic were and talking. Air okay, answering. The I was off air. Just I was just sitting behind him. Yeah, and in in this very small studio, that three walls of this studio were just nothing but you know racks and racks uh, of uh, shelves of albums, uh, LPs, and so you know. And then I had the phone next to me, so when the phone would ring and it was somebody calling in for a request, I would answer that you know, while Tree wasn't on the air, you know, and I'd just answer the request lines for him. And if the phones weren't ringing, it was just me and, and Tree just chatting. And I was, you know, asking all kinds of questions about his background and about radio and about, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so no, I didn't, okay. this is before I, you really got involved in any of the, the voiceover stuff at all. Got it, got it. Yeah. But when you did, was listening mm -hmm. back like that easier to act with it? Act with your voice because um, you're hearing it back so much. Yes, uh, I mean the the short answer is yes because <laughs> you know when you but but not at first because when you you know it's like any any other job or anything else you know we do none of us starts as a professional right. anything yeah. whether it's playing whatever instruments you guys play or singing or talking or anything when none of us starts as a pro we all start as a beginner you know so. You, you try and you try and emulate or copy those people you look up to and see how well you can kind of hang in there, you know, you know, listening to their chops and then trying to do it yourself. Um, but then over the years, you know, you, you, you learn and you grow and you learn what works and what doesn't. 
you start to learn your own style, you start to hear your own voice rather than, you know, trying to be somebody else, um, you know, or, 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 or emulate or mimic somebody else, um, right. which is fine when you're just getting started, you know, but unless you're an impressionist, which I'm not, uh, you know, at, at some point you're going to start discovering your own strengths and your own sound and your own style. It uh, doesn't matter what it is you're doing, whether you're voice acting or acting or or playing an instrument or singing, right. you know, um, or as an architect or whatever, you know, we, we, we're all we're all made up of different stuff. So no matter what it is we do, we're never going to be doing it just like somebody else, unless, again, you know, you're an impressionist and trying to actually, you know, match somebody else. But but, you know, that's not what most of us do. Right. No, that was very well said. It was interesting. We had a, a conversation with Kevin Eastman that was kind of similar. Like, and he was talking about like taking influences from Jack Kirby and um, Frank sure. Miller, and like yep. paying homage and not being like kind of afraid to be like, "This is who I like." But yeah. I came up with these guys. Do you ever? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have to. You had to meet Kevin Eastman, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we've done we've done a bunch of Comic Cons with Kevin Eastman. I remember actually before we even got busy doing the cons, uh, years ago, uh, there was an outfit who was doing a a documentary about our show. Oh, and yeah, yeah and Turtle we Power. shot it over. What's that? Turtle Power, right? Was that the name? Was of the that doc? the one? I, I, you know, honestly, I never ended up seeing it, so okay. I don't know what it was called. But but we ended up shooting it over at Kevin Eastman's house um here in town and uh yeah so that was the first time i i think that was the first time i actually met kevin in person but since then uh we've done just boatloads of uh comic cons with him and so he's just like such a great guy a really delightful man hey, yeah i just saw absolutely. him uh, down at san diego comic-con back in july yeah how, yeah. how was san diego uh, it was a zoo like yeah. it always is <laughs> that's what yeah. everyone's that's everyone's response yeah yeah, I'm not crazy about San Diego um, Con. It used to be that um, this was the first year. Well, of course, with the pandemic, you know, we didn't have this, the con down there over the last couple of years. So this is the first year back in person, and it was a little, it was a little dialed back a little bit, um, just because uh, I think they might have restricted the number of uh, tickets that they sold this year because of the pandemic, but. So it wasn't quite as as hairy as <laughs> this year as it it's been in the past. Uh, but also, I, I for the last, gosh, I don't know, fifteen years maybe. I'm guessing um, I've been going down to San Diego Comic Con every year, uh, not not for Ninja Turtles and not as a uh, an exhibitor. You know, in, in other words, I didn't have my own table with my um, pictures that I was selling and stuff like you know I do it. Where like where I met um, you, uh, Coda, um, uh, at in Chicago. C two E two. Chicago is is where we met, right? Yeah, yeah, Chicago. C two E two. Chicago, yeah, right. And um, so no, but what I would do is for a, a bunch of years, I've been going on to San Diego Comic Con to sit in the New England Comics booth, which is the company who put out um, the. Uh, comic uh book of the tick uh -huh. originally yeah. yep yeah yeah and and so they would just invite me down um you know and again for any of your listeners here um so i was the voice of the tick 
Um, that big blue guy right back there. Of course. Uh, yeah, which was a, a a show that was on Fox Kids from '94 to '96 or '7, somewhere in there. We did three seasons. Uh, anyway, so they would invite me down and just have me uh, hang in the booth with them just to meet fans and sign autographs and stuff. Um, but this this was the first year in all these years that they didn't have a booth uh, in San Diego. Because it was kind of so limited. What, I, I'm not quite sure what their rationale was for it, but they just didn't. So I ended up going down this year because I was on a voice actors panel with um, a guy named Mark Evanier who's a an animation historian and also a writer, very prolific writer, uh, a cartoon writer, um, directed, wrote and directed uh, the um, uh, Garfield cartoon uh, all the years that it was on. Um, so anyway, he every year down at San Diego and at other cons, he puts on this voice actors panel where he gets like six voice actors, uh, you know, and... Um, and we do, you know, do silly things. We take uh, questions from the audience and then do also perform a script that Mark brings along. And he assigns us each a character in the script and tells us what kind of voice he wants us to do for that character. Uh, so those are always a lot of fun. So I did that for him this past, uh, back in July. And then also taught a voice actors um, kind of how to, how to break into it and kind of what voice acting is about uh, with a buddy of mine named Scott Brick who is one of the um, world's most preeminent audiobook narrators now. He's done over a thousand books and uh, highly sought after and uh, just an amazing guy, amazing talent. That's a yeah. long session. An audiobook? That's a long, <laughs> yeah. that's a long gig. Yeah, and dude, you won't catch me doing them because <laughs> I, I don't have the attention span for it. All my, all my voiceover work primarily um, – so back in 1993, when I was still doing uh, Ninja Turtles, and and just before I got the tick, uh, I got this fluke audition to uh, uh, to go down and do a promo, uh, a network TV promo. Now promos are commercials for the shows on on their network, right? Right. And so I went down and auditioned for a promo uh, for a campaign that NBC was starting called Must See TV, and I ended up. They they liked what I did, and they ended up putting it on the air that night, and it was the uh, the first promo for the John Larroquette show. And my understanding, it was the first um, uh, must-see TV promo back then. Well, they liked what I did, and so called me back in like the next day and the next day after that, and so for like a week straight to do more promos for NBC. And uh, and 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 so within like that was in August of '93 by Halloween. They gave me the Tonight Show promos as well for Jay Leno, and they ended up keeping me for 16 years. So I was the so I was the comedy voice on all the comedy promos for NBC for 16 years. So starting with Seinfeld, Frasier, Friends, Mad About You, Blossom, all those shows way back then in '93, '94, '95. Um, in fact, I launched Friends in '95, um, all the way up through. 2009 and uh, 30 Rock and The Office and Community uh, shows like that. We're, so we're big Community so, fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So I launched that show. Launched that show too. Yeah. Um, and then they let me go in 2009, and then I ended up over at ABC doing the same thing for about five years, uh, and then they let me go, and then I ended up over at Fox doing the same thing for a couple of years. So 
So it was all, so all, so, so what I'm saying is my whole voiceover career for a long, long time was in five second, 10 second, 15 second, 20 second, 30 second chunks. Wow. Yeah. Never longer than a 30 second promo. And that was it, you know, so, and it was all really fast paced, super high energy, you know, and you're sort of in and out of that promo in as little as four seconds, you know, uh, or perhaps as long as 30, but half a minute was as long as they ever got for me. So the the whole note, so the whole notion of do, you, you, I'm sorry. You that's what's crazy about voice acting. Some of the stuff you can't even like look up. When we look at your IMDb, yeah. it could never tell us all these things, and you never yeah. know until you hear the person do that voice. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So so back in those days, you know, my my whole voiceover career was in these very short time increments with a ton of energy. Um, so this this whole notion of doing an audio book. <laughs> where yeah. you're sitting in the steward <laughs> studio reading a book for hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I'm like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> That's yeah. Well, the, it's kind of like the Hemingway um, six word story, right? Where you, you can say, uh, tell a whole story in six words. It's really hard to do, but I think once you get in that that flow and mindset, it'd be really hard to do a whole paragraph. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly. That's incredible. So, like, was that easier to do after doing TV shows and kind of putting work in long commercial or not long 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 uh, long uh, roles? Was it easier to? You mean short? like doing cartoons? Right. Like, do did you, you know? It's just. I'll tell you, Dave. It's just a, uh, it's just a different, it's just a okay. different discipline within the same sort realm. of voiceover okay. realm. Yeah, you, you know, it's like, you know, and the thing is, when I, when I, because I never thought about doing promos because I didn't have a voice. I didn't think I had a voice for promos. You know, I don't, I don't have one of these, you know, big, stentorian monster voices like Ernie Anderson. So Ernie oh. Anderson's from Cleveland. You, you know who yeah. he is, oh, yeah. Ernie. Uh, okay, so Gulardi. And I grew up watching Ernie uh, as Goularty. He blew up one one of my my models that I made one time on wow. on on air one night with his with his cherry bomb or his M80 or whatever he used to blow those things up. <laughs> That's a Cleveland <laughs> rite of passage for right. sure. Tot right. So yeah. So back in those days, you know, you're a 12 year old kid and you build these models and you go down to Channel Eight and you wait outside, you know, in the afternoon on a Friday, <laughs> and and you leave it at the front desk and say, please. I hope he blows this up on the air tonight, <laughs> um, which he did do one of mine one time. Um, but yeah, so so but Ernie, of course, was the voice of he was the promo voice of ABC, you know, long before I was at NBC, um, you know, and he had that the love boat. You know, he had yeah. just had this great this just amazing voice and amazing talent. Um, and so I figured I didn't have that kind of voice. Um so I never really thought about doing promos until I went on this audition, but they were looking for something very different then. They were looking for, they weren't looking for that kind of voice. They didn't want a promo sounding voice. They wanted really just a, a, a guy who was, I think, younger and, and, and just more like a, more conversational is what they were looking for. Now they ended up sort of getting away from that, but, but what I found comfortable for me when I went and auditioned for it was 
it felt very much like radio because I had to watch this promo on the screen in front of me and I'm looking at the script. And so there would be, you know, a, a little bit of the actor on screen on, 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 on the show saying a line and then it would cut to me saying a line and then another line of the actor or another actor, you know, so it would sort of go back like that. So back and forth like that. So, so for me, all I had to do was read my little bits and just make sure I could squeeze them in between each of their lines on camera. Okay. Well, well there was something that was very, uh, it's just felt very familiar to me because it felt like being on the radio. You know, it's like talking up the intro of a song on the radio and you know, you've got, you know, 11 seconds to say what you want to say and then shut up as soon as the, you know, the vocalist, the singer starts singing the lyrics, you know, well, it's the same sort of talent. So, so in voiceover, at least back then, it's not as important now because of computers and, you know, you can time compress and expand stuff and you can, you know, you know, you can slide stuff around. You couldn't do that then. Back in those days, it was all on big two inch tape. And so when they went in to record, you had like one shot at it to be able to make sure you did it right. And they would do it start to finish. So if it was a, a 30 second spot, they would roll it from the top. You'd hear these three beeps at the top and then you'd start talking and you'd have to look at your script and keep an eye on the screen at the same time, listen for these cues <laughs> yeah. and then have to squeeze all that stuff in. And generally for network promos, they're on a they're on a tight schedule, so they got to turn this stuff around really quickly because they've got a lot of stuff to do. You know, so they can't they don't have the you don't have the luxury of doing like three and four and five and six takes. If you can't get it in two takes, then you're kind of in trouble. So back in those days, it was all about having a clock in your head. You had to have an internal clock. You had to have a sense of the timing, and. It was the same, exactly the same as being on the radio. You had to have that internal clock. And, and so when I auditioned for that, there was something really comfortable to me about having that sense of timing. So I knew that that was something I could do. But then it also drew upon my animation background and my voice acting background to be able to, you know, sort of shift gears and give them stuff that they were asking for in terms of sort of more because I would look at my promo announcing as being a character. It just, yeah. you know, wasn't on a half hour TV show. It was in a, a half a minute TV show, if you will. Okay. So yeah. So there were there are a lot of similarities between all this stuff. It's just they're different disciplines all within the same uh realm of voice acting. Incredibly insightful answer. Well, that, thanks, man. Like Hey, you hear that? It was insightful. <laughs> I knew I could get insightful today. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, oh, really quick, I just wanted to say, uh, I know we jumped right into this. I just wanted to kind of let you know, we usually do real epic intros after right. we're done recording. So we'll let the okay. people know. Everything, all the epic credentials, you know, I just wanted to let you know that. So anytime <laughs> we brought right. up a character, you didn't feel like I, we were dusting you on that. 
No, no, I don't feel dusted at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I was just wondering where the epic was. Where's the epic? The epic. You will hear it when the episode came. comes out. <laughs> well, you know that makes me think about what you had to do, and like I'm gonna definitely do two takes, <laughs> but and how hard that would be, and how hard that sense of rhythm would be to develop. But that's so cool. You had all the experience to to find that timing, and it's interesting too, like how people kind of def- like you didn't think you had a promote or a announcer or a promoter ad uh, voice, but how people can kind of define what that is you have and how you can really embrace that role that's really cool and opening and like that it seems like a really like wow limitless field to be in it really is i I mean that's one of the reasons why i like it so much and and uh, you know there's so much variety there's so many different uh, little subgenres within voiceover study i mean you you know you called out uh um audiobooks um but I mean, there's there's animation, there's promo, there's commercial, of course. I mean, commercial was the other, was the third leg of my voiceover career that was really, that's been significant for years. You know, back in, in, in the days when I was working so much, uh, all the way from 1985, all the way up through, you know, into the early 2000s, um, had a bunch of uh, commercial campaigns uh, that were, that were, you know, really, really great for me. Like uh, Home Depot, for instance, was the voice yeah. of Home Depot for, oh, yeah. for eight for eight years. <laughs> Taco Bell, uh, Jenny Craig, um, uh, Seven Up Spot, Hot Wheels, Seven Up. Yeah, I was the Seven Up Spot for yeah. seven years. Yeah, that. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was he was he was some fun to do. That was one um, you did at C two E two. That when you did it, I was like, whoa, whoa, I had no idea he did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so 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 yes, there are all kinds of opportunities just within the whole voiceover realm, um, you know, which have, have made it very cool. So you you know, commercial animation, uh, promo, uh, audio books. Uh, you know, doing phone trees, you know, when you call a company and you get that voice on, you know, that answers yeah. the phone and, and asks you for all the oh, no other people who do, there are people who do just that, who do phone trees, you know, or a lot of educational stuff, uh, a lot of industrial stuff. Um, uh, they're just, uh, uh, there's, there's so much, there's so much. Yeah. And well, in narration too, you know, like if you ever watch like a documentary on history channel or something like those guys, you know, they got great voices and great, you know, um, a great uh, sense of presence uh, to be able to present that stuff in yeah. a compelling in a compelling way. You know, that's I don't I don't I've, I've maybe done one or two of those over yeah. the over the years. I was going to say it's I'd not, love to hear you do that. <laughs> it's it's kind of not my thing. And yeah. the ones that I've auditioned for, I never book it. They you know they're always looking for sort of that David Attenborough kind of. I would want you one know. of you just narrating in Michelangelo's voice, or the Tick's the Tick's voice would be great for a documentary. I would like to yeah. see that of you going through your day, like ah, a, a Tick documentary of my day. There you go. There you go. He You're right. stubbed his toe once again. <laughs> um, while we're on the topic of the Tick, uh, do you have a yeah. favorite Tickism? Maybe uh, a favorite Tick Tick. <laughs> it's you your know, destiny. It, it, hug it. I, Right there, yeah, exactly. There, there. What I loved about the Tick is the writing was so brilliant on that show, and there are so many 
so many great lines, uh, most of which I've forgotten over the years. But but every time I do a Comic Con, and if it's if somebody comes up to to talk to me and and they're a Tick fan, invariably they've got like a favorite of theirs. So I'll say I'll ask them, you know, what's so what was your favorite Tick quote or Tick line, you know, or Tick scene or Tick episode for that matter. You know, and and they've always got one, and they always and it always makes me laugh because so often they're they're ones that I had forgotten that I said, but when I hear them say it, I hear it back in my head, and I'm going, oh, that's right, oh, that was great. Um, there was an episode that I loved uh, called "The Tick Versus the Tick," and it's where it's where a character named Barry comes busting into this superhero lounge, and and uh, and and wants to confront the tick, and he and and Jim Cummings did the voice of Barry, and and he, so he comes into this thing. He goes, "Who's the jerk who calls himself the tick?" And 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 I say, "I am that jerk. Who wants to know?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's like just writing like there was another line from that episode shortly after that exchange where where Tick says to Barry, he says, he says. Yeah. <laughs> he says, yeah, well, don't count your weasels before they pop, dink. <laughs> <laughs> That's pure like, classic tick. Oh, man, yeah. Did you Hang 10 for justice. <laughs> honk, honk if you love justice. In fact, hold on. Oh, here we oh, go. My tick buddy here, I've got I've to handle him with kid gloves uh, gingerly because he's broken and... Uh -huh. And his butt actually Whoa. falls off here, <laughs> and when his butt falls off, the then the whole torso falls off, <laughs> and and then I got to put him back together. But uh, but let me see what comes up here. He's got like six or seven different phrases that I recorded for this toy. Oh my gosh! Um, years ago, let me. But it's always random. I you can never get. It's just it's always random. Let's see what he says. Well, he's just going to keep going over and saying the same thing. But he does say, spoon! Classic. Which, of course, was the Tick's battle cry. So, Did you sing the are. theme song for the Tick? I was curious. Did, did I sing it? Yeah. No. Did, didn't no. You, did you do any singing on the show? I did. I, did. I was going to say, I, th I remember um, the episode where he gets a mustache. I, right. think, I think you sing a little mustache song. When he I do. There's there's a song in the yeah uh, the milk mustache, um, but but then he but then he also sings a song in in the in the episode where where he's he's all forlorn over uh, losing Arthur as his best friend because she starts he starts dating the uh, Carmelita I think or or Dot maybe it was Carmelita I think and. Uh, and so he he sings this real weepy sort of song. I don't remember how it goes, so I can't tell you. Although, you know what? Screw it. I can tell you. Check <laughs> this out. <laughs> so, I thought you were just um, going to rapidly push the toys button until it started singing a song. Yeah. Yeah, no. So here, so on my phone. So I've got... I've I've got a, a little folder on my phone yeah. that's uh, some of the cartoon singing that I did for the ver for various characters that I've done awesome. over the years, and this is I think that one from the Tick. So let me see if I can let me see if I can bring it up here. 
It sounds like it would be so hard to sing in character like that. Uh, it's it's not. I'm because I'm a bit of a singer. Now I won't say I I'm not a singer, the type of singer where I'd ever be in a band or anything like that. But I've done enough. We stage were going to ask singing. you to join the band. <laughs> oh dang! If I were in Cleveland and you didn't mind getting a you know a guy who's pushing seventy, uh, I'm not seventy yet. Two years away, so give yourself time, Townsend. <laughs> um, but, but I, you know, because I've I've done so much singing in musicals yeah. and on stage, um, that singing, doing cartoon singing or character singing, is is not that difficult for me. You know, now I'm, I, you know, I'm no Rob Paulson or Jim Cummings. You know, you know, guys like that. But I can hold my own in 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 certain ways. So, yeah. You mentioned Rob. I have a quick, funny Rob story at C2E2. Uh, I was in the photo op line and you got, it was the photo op was scheduled for first thing in the morning. And, um, you guys had been running just a little bit late. So, uh, the way they do those photo ops, we were probably, I, we were probably stuck still sleeping. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never done one of those before. So I just kind of ganged up with the people that had turtle shirts on, but the way they do right. it is they have like taped off lanes with numbers and then and there's right. no there's no signs for who is what number. There's just someone who tells you the numbers. So there's all these people lined up and Rob comes out to like apologize for being late. And he launches into this epic monologue where he's bouncing from character to character and apologizing. But that's Rob. When he first came <laughs> out, it was so funny because there was two lines for the turtles, one for like individual and one for the group photo and then the rest were all lines for other people he comes out and and the longest line is for rob as an individual <laughs> and and then and then there's like four people in line for all four of us that's not true at all <laughs> okay. but he comes out and he had no i don't think he knew that all of the other lines were for other people he comes out and he greets everyone and he's like oh my gosh, there's so many of you to meet us i'm so honored and he starts shaking hands with people that were in other lines and, right. <laughs> and I was laughing in my head thinking, oh, these people aren't here for him. They might not even know who he is. And one of the people in the other lines, he shook their hand and they were like, oh, my God, Rob Paulson. <laughs> right. Yeah. Robbie's the best. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. You guys were all great. It was a total honor meeting each one of you. And each one of you were so sweet and kind and all had to, gave the time to talk. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but I had the animation cell that I had each of you signed. It was like an original right. cell from the show. Right. Right. So what was the cell of? What was, who it was, was on the, it was on the cell? A, all four of us? Yeah, it was a small cell of all four of you. And then I did have a separate one of just you, but I didn't realize you guys were cash only, so I couldn't get you to sign that one as well. But I got all four of you to sign that original cell. Hey, we're, hey, we're credit card now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Figures. <laughs> yeah, didn't help. Didn't help you much then, Figures. did it? Yeah, yeah. So sorry. Jumping into turtle questions, though. Um, sure. I just wanted to say, uh, the ninja, like he said at the top, we're both huge Ninja Turtles fans. I got my shirt on. I saw you got a turtle shirt right. on, I believe. Right. And uh, hey, wow, that's yeah. a spider crossover. Oh my that's gosh, that's <laughs> quite possibly the coolest Ninja Turtle shirt I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to say thank you for everything and like. The, we always tell people the Turtles were the biggest influence on our band because <laughs> they taught us that we can each own our individual personality and come in together as a group. So right, right. Uh, when we talked to Kevin, he mentioned that every kid has their turtle. So my turtle yep. was Michelangelo, and his was Leonardo. In situations. So, uh, I know, it's in the band, that's kind of how we fit together. Those are our <laughs> roles in the band. Okay. So I just wanted to, uh, first off, like I said, say just thank you so much because our love for both of, both of us started with the cartoon, you know. Yeah, and well, that's awesome. And uh, as I said at the beginning, I'm a music teacher at the school. One, th I find for years I was room to room, and they're like, "You can have a cart." I'm like, "Sick, cool." So I'm carrying a class, a class set of pianos from cart to cart. The reason they're broken is because I gotta go over rocks, you know. And they gave me my own room, and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. I gotta test it out. I'll take it. If I can paint on the walls. And they're like, all right, what are you going to paint? I'm like, a Ninja Turtle holding a guitar. And they're <laughs> like, okay, cool. But I'm not. And then I'm going to mount it. So it's going to be a guitar stand. And they're like, uh. Wow. And so I got Mike. <laughs> I got you. Uh, Mike, Mike Angelo on the wall. <laughs> and all That's so great. And it hits. Well, well. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Say, all the kids still <laughs> come up and they're like, Mike Angelo, that's cool. <laughs> like, the oh, turtles that's so great. Still hit. It's so awesome. That's so great. Thanks, you guys. I mean, and, and thanks for, well, thanks for being fans and, and uh, you know, because obviously if it weren't for you guys, we wouldn't have a job, <laughs> you know, there wouldn't have been a show. Um, but, but I have to I just say, you know, and you can imagine as a kid from Cleveland, you know, coming out here and, and, you know, just, it's like, it's like Robbie says so often, you know, do we just, do we, we just hit the lottery, you know, with this show. And with our careers, um, you know, maybe right place at the right time, you know, and a little bit of talent thrown in. But, uh, gosh, I couldn't be I just I couldn't be more grateful um, um, than I am for this career and for this particular show, um, Ninja Turtles. You know, just the fact that I mean, we started recording that in I don't remember whether we started in like late 86 or early 87, but you know, the first couple, that first five part miniseries uh, aired at the very end of 87. And so that was a long time ago. And the fact that it is not only still um, in the zeitgeist out there all these years later in 2022, but the fact that it in some ways almost appears to be bigger than ever, that this franchise is, is just, so enormous. So to have been, you know, a part of um, the uh, the the beginning, the genesis of 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 uh, all the cartoon versions of that um, is it's just such an honor and such a privilege, you know. And so, and and I have to tell you guys too that it what you know when we back when we were recording the show, none of us had any idea a that it was going to turn out to be as big a hit as it did. Um, nor did we have any sense that 
the lines that we were saying and that we were acting and reading uh, back in those days were going to, you know, somehow gel into an episode that would feature these these four characters that would end up having such an impact on so many kids. We just had no idea. To us, it was just at the time, just another job. And it wasn't until we really, until we started going to Comic Cons um, that we started to get us a, a sense of that. And then we started meeting you guys and we started hearing the stories, uh, you know, about when you were six years old or you were nine years old and your parents were splitting up and, you know, Michelangelo taught you that it was okay to smile, you know, even in tough times and that things were going to be okay. Um, or that Donatello, I, you know, I had this one very uh, bright erudite uh, guy at a, at a con in um, New Hampshire a couple of years ago uh, with Kevin. Um, and, and he said to me, he said, you know, Mr. Coleman. And I said, you don't need to call me Mr. Coleman. <laughs> he said, well, you know, Townsend, the the reason that I was such a fan of Donatello is because he taught me it was okay to be smart. And I thought, wow, how about that? I mean, these were things that we just never even thought about back then. You know, so we I can't tell you guys the the number of stories and the and the quality of stories and really in many cases, you know, the tearjerkers that we hear and the times that we've you stood with fans and, you know, tears running down both our faces and, you know, ending with just a big hug. It's, I mean, that's a stunning to me and, and something that I never, ever, ever uh, would have imagined would happen with not only this show, but with my career that I'd ever be in a place where I'd be meeting people who, you know, were so attached to something that I had done so many years ago, but that it meant something to them. And they're able to express to me now what it meant. So the fact that you guys are, are such big fans the way you are, and the fact that that your band uh, has taken so much from this show and from these characters, uh, I, I, again, I, I can't tell you what that means. It It's like, wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So, thank you. Thanks. Well, yeah. it's, um, it makes you one of the wealthiest men ever. I'd have to imagine it, being able to... It, <laughs> The true joy it, of putting art out into the world is right. that Thank feeling. you. Thank you so much. And Dave, boy, you just you just said it perfectly. Yeah, I do. I feel like I mean, I mean, th this is riches, riches that that just has no comparison, you know. And certainly, you know, you know the 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 riches of the world, the you know the worldly riches don't hold a candle uh, to to the kind of riches you're talking about and we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, it just goes straight to the heart. My heart is full of all of that. Our uh, our teacher, George Hartwig, who's a local musician, um, mm -hmm. he says that all the time about just the relationships he develops through music. And so yeah. this is at least something I've been very thankful to slightly experience. So to, uh, to have work like you have done to impact so many people and to get the chance to experience it, that's so cool. Cody, I know Thanks, you're about man. to say something. Yeah. I kinda... No, you're all good, buddy. Okay. Um, I just wanted to get into turtle questions. Like, uh, I'm, I'm yeah, sure. so curious about so many things. Um, sure. I, I've heard from some people that you were the one who came up with the phrase cowbunga. I was curious, was that something that was in the script, or was that an ad lib that, or you don't really remember? No, it was in the script. Okay. 
For sure. Yeah, it was something it was something that David Wise, who wrote those first batch of scripts and was the story, um, the story editor on uh, for the whole series, um, script editor, he, he uh, and wrote many, many of the scripts. Uh, no, he was and where that came from, you know, Cowabunga actually came from Howdy Doody back huh. in the 50s. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. And it was spelled with a K back then. Um, and from Howdy Doody from that became a surfer's like battle cry. That's yeah. where Cowabunga, you know, started becoming associated with surfers, uh, but was from Howdy Doody back in the fifties huh. um, and sixties, I think. Um, so that's where that came from. And, and, and David uh, was uh, God bless him and RIP. Uh, he was, um, he was a, a great animation um, historian himself and writer, just profoundly knowledgeable. And, uh, and, and, and so, so that's where, that's where, uh, the Cowabunga came from was for him. It came from the howdy doody and, uh, that makes yeah, much and, more and the sense. surfers, of course. Yeah. And the surfers, of course, I mean, when I auditioned for the show, um, actually all, all of us auditioned for all four turtles. And, and so when I got the show, they hadn't decided whether I was going to be Leonardo or, Michelangelo. Um, we've told the story a million times, but, um, but yeah, it wasn't until the fr actual first recording session that we showed up that, uh, they were going to have me try it, uh, both characters on that first, um, uh, first episode. And they were going to have Cam try both characters as well, and then make up their mind, which they wanted to use. Well, they had me do Michelangelo first. Uh, and then they just, uh, for a second pass, they just didn't change it. They just kept me on Michelangelo they were thinking about other things. And I think maybe they were thinking that for another recording session, they might try us switching us off and then change then. Um, but they didn't. They just, So I ended up with Michelangelo. And uh, when I auditioned for it, they, the um, prototype that they were using for uh, Michelangelo's character was uh, Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And that, that you know, um, and so... They wanted that sort of Sean Penn, you know, kind of surfer dude. They didn't want him too burnt out, you know, and and stuff, you know, or drugged out. But but they um, that that's kind of was the feel that they were looking for, you know. So I just did. And back in those days, the whole Valley Girl thing was real big, and and so I just sort of did my version of that, and uh, it ended up sticking. That's awesome. Um, you did so many voices on that show. Do you know how many voices you did total? <laughs> no. No, as a matter of fact, there's somebody on Twitter who is like a big turtle fan, and he keeps posting these posts that say, um, Townsend, I found I found more characters that you did on, <laughs> you know, whatever, whether it was turtles or my little pony or whatever. And 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 so really what I ought to do is I ought to go back and, and just look at all his tweets that's this thread and just make a note, make a make a list of all these characters that that he says I've done. I don't know where he finds all this stuff. Maybe IMDB. I don't know, but IMDB is not really that it's not, I mean, it's sort of as accurate as I, especially for uh, voice actors. It, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, there are people come up and uh, well, it's like on, on the game that we were talking about the shredders of revenge. When I went to, down to Santa Monica to record my um, Michelangelo lines for that, I figured that those were the only lines they were going to be having me do. Um, but then they, uh, what are the other ones? They, 
they had me do Michelangelo. Um, I think because on the show, the three main characters, well, Michelangelo is the main character I did, but, but I also did Rat King and Usagi Yojimbo. And so those are the three characters that I think m most people who are Turtles fans would know that I had done. But when I went to do this session for the game, they had me do a character. Uh, they wanted me to do a character called Razar. And, and I, I didn't have any idea who they were talking about. I, number one, I didn't remember this character. And even if I had remembered the character, I had no recollection of the fact that I had done it. So I said to the recording engineer, I said, are you sure that, are you sure that that's me? Because that's happened in the past for me where they say, you did this voice and I'll listen to it. And I go, nah, that's actually not me. That's so-and-so. Um, but so he paid, he played me a sample of Razar and sure enough, it was me, but it was this real deep voice version of me that would be hard for me to try and emulate right now. My voice feels real kind of fuzzy, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was me. So I ended up having to do Razar and, um, and then I was reminded that I did Bugman uh, and that I was Muckman. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, like all these characters people are reminding me of, oh, yeah, and you did so and so and so and so. And I'm like, really? I did? Okay. <laughs> yeah, watching I, it I now, I, I kind of, now that I've met you guys, it's easier for me to hear each one of you on different characters. So I start to notice it more. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, another turtles question. I was curious, have you ever had anchovies or hot fudge on pizza? I have not. And I probably, and I probably won't, <laughs> but it's my favorite kind of pizza, dude. It's the only kind of pizza to eat anchovy and hot fudge. That's like totally mondo bodacious. I would sit, I would just sit back in the old turtle lair with like six of these anchovy and hot fudge pizzas stacked up in front of me. And I would just get sick to my stomach and love every bite of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be Michelangelo's uh, the response pizza, to it. The pizza in that show looked so good. It was like <laughs> the way they animated it. I've, my whole life I've been searching for right. cheese that melts that cheese way that, it does on the show. It like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, on the topic of turtles, uh, you guys ran for so long, you held the record for longest-running cartoon at a point, and then were beat by The Simpsons. I was curious, do you have any affirmations <laughs> for The Simpsons? Are you Dude, an anti-Simpsoner because of that? Oh, of course. Of course not. The Simpsons, yeah, no, The Simpsons is, is in a class by itself. I mean, those people, you know, those cats on, on Simpsons, you know, from Nancy and, and Dan and Yardley and I, I mean, all of them, they, they, they deserve what they've gotten. And the fact that this show is still going, how many years later, 35 years later or something? Incredible. I don't I don't know how it's it's amazing. Yeah, so more power to him, Harry Shearer, all those guys. Um, just crazy. Yeah, crazy. Now, I will say that when I saw them start to make the kind of money they were making um, on <laughs> on this show, it you know it yeah. it did it, it did annoy me you know to a certain degree because you know we were on the air and you know within uh, you know just a couple of years we're a big hit and then we're like the biggest thing on the planet you know after like four or five years. And we were still working for scale. 
Wow. We were still, they never gave us a raise. Is and that in because fact, because of the syndication thing? Nope. No, it was the producer of, of, of the show. Uh, just, just uh, never saw fit to think that we were worth making more than just scale. We're musicians, for nine years, so ten years. You're, you, you're preaching to the choir here. We've been we've been underpaid <laughs> yeah. the whole time. <laughs> right, right, right. We've been yeah. working for the pizza. That, like, that's there, been our there you go. Most of the time. There you go. Well, if if you can be satisfied with that and just content with that, you're 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 well on your way to a a, a long happy life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'm sh I'm sure you haven't kept up too much with like the comics and stuff like that but um there's a comic going on right now called the last ronin well it's it's it ended but oh sure you know about the last ronin oh of course of course yeah okay. yeah and you're familiar with that it was michelangelo uh-huh okay because i've yeah. heard i've heard many uh times where you were you voiced that he would be the last one left um <laughs> i was just curious in the vein of that comic what would you think about you and Rob and Cam and Barry getting together for like a old man turtles sort of <laughs> serious serious yeah like a serious take on the Dark turtles Knight turtles but with the original <sighs> voice actors yeah i mean that would be that would be fascinating i think you know listen now that nickelodeon owns the franchise you know for all cartoons and and such and I don't know. I don't know how the merchandising is split because I know that Kevin um, still owns a, a chunk of that somehow. Uh, I think is part of his deal. But since Nick owns the the you know the cartoon franchise, I've been hoping that you know because there are so many shows that are being you know rebooted now. You know, it's like Rob with his uh, Animaniacs and his Pinky and the Brain. Yeah. You know, coming back and and uh, and and and. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking right now, um, but like Powerpuff Girls and uh, you name it. Um, I've thought, boy, you know, with, with the way Nickelodeon is is sort of cranking out these various uh, iterations of the Ninja Turtles cartoons, you know, um, and I think that this current one, the rise of the TMNT, um, or the most recent one, uh, I would love to see Nickelodeon do a remake, a reboot of our original series. And especially since, you know, all the actors, except James Avery, you know, um, God rest his soul, um, you know, we're all still around and and could do that. And I think that something like that, especially, you know, nostalgia uh, is such a huge thing right now, you know, and, and with all these, all these cats who are in there, now you guys are, are a little younger to be on the on the on the in the age spectrum to be fans of our original series. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you are because because most of the most of the folks that we meet who are coming to the comic cons and stuff are generally anywhere you know sort of mid to upper thirties into uh, you know mid to even upper forties. Um, you know, so there's that sort of ten year span, sort of from thirty five to forty five, that seems to be really the sweet spot for for folks now i was gonna say guys but it's not just guys because plenty of women you know were fans and show up at these cons too um you know and and weren't just fans because their big brothers were but you know were fans because they were you know and they discovered it on tv and and have their own personal stories to tell and it's always fascinating to me but 
that's sort of the the range from kind of like 35 to 45 that I find, uh, you know, is the is the is the age range um, where the the real diehard Ninja Turtles fans are, and so because those people are still not only still around but have money to spend and you know are are raising their kids on our original uh, series, you know, they go ahead and buy the whole series on DVD and 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 that's what they're raising their kids on. Um, that's fascinating to me, and because of that. I just think that there might be a real market there um, for Nickelodeon to tap into, you know? We obviously agree, and 100%. we'd be the first ones buying it. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, from your lips to Nickelodeon. I'll call ears. Nickelodeon tonight, get it sorted out for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> they may be closed. They may be closed shortly, but, but yeah, maybe give them a holler first thing in the morning and, and get them on it, would you? Good call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool. Do you got more? No, I'm no, out. That, that... Hey, listen, there's more. So when I was down at uh, San Diego Comic-Con in July, there's there's more Ronin coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did see that announcement. Yeah, the Lost Years. Right. Uh, it's called, looks very cool. Um, I, you know, down there, I got a chance to meet Ben Bishop, one of the artists. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he's cool. For the first time. And, uh, yeah, he was great. Um, yeah. Do you um do you recall any of the Cleveland artist musicians from uh Well Michael Stanley band is the okay. w- was the big, big band that yeah. was around when when I was there. So they're the ones that I remember most. Um they've kind of always kinda... been the number one one. Yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and a good buddy of mine that I went to to school with, a guy named Chris Abood, who is a um, he's a he's a a rock and roll writer and writes about Cleveland bands all the time, um, and uh, and got into radio was in radio down in Akron for a while, um, but Chris still writes just some great reviews about you know bands that come through often at Blossom, um, but yeah, I mean between him and like David Spiro. Uh, yep. these, these, yep. these two guys are like, are like the, you know, the real historians of Cleveland rock and roll. David Spiro, he, he was managing everybody. Did you, uh, did you ever deal yeah. with Perubu or, uh, um, any of those cats? No, no, <laughs> no. I just remember it was, so when I was telling you about that TV show that I, uh, the, so it was called the afternoon exchange on channel five back then. Yeah. Uh, cause there used to be a, a show on in the morning called the morning exchange which is what preceded it. And then it was such a big hit. Uh, and, and that's actually w- where a Good Morning America uh, grew out of. Uh, at least that's what I heard yeah. years ago. Um, so the afternoon exchange, uh, I was going out doing remotes for them, uh, interviewing bands. And But the one that pops to mind is I remember going out and doing, a, and it wasn't just bands. It was uh, like people in the entertainment industry, you know, uh, actors um singers and stuff but but i remember going in and uh, interviewing wild cherry oh yeah, uh, wow. yeah, yeah. at a at a small club funky pool uh, no no they didn't right. play that funky music no, white boy. music white boy yeah oh, yeah yeah okay that's who might who does funky poodle that's uh, another cleveland that is another cleveland band in fact, I used to have a. I used to have a. Uh, this is back in the days when satin jackets were so big in yeah. radio and 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 bands and stuff. I used to have a wild cherry satin <laughs> nice. jacket. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know what ever happened to that, but. <laughs>
Do you ever cross Frankie Starr? That guitar player? Mm-hmm. Okay. Wild mm-hmm. Horses. That's who wild did Funky horses. Poodle. Yeah, That's yeah. I got mixed okay. up. They were both super wild. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and both very funky. <laughs> well, you got any? No, okay. yeah. I just, uh, me, I, I always cut Cody off, and I don't mean to. But Townsend, thank you so much for spending yeah, so man. much time with us. We really, of really course. appreciate it. It's been, it's been a blast being able to dive into your career and like thanks and just see all the bits we didn't know that our Michelangelo was in you know what i mean like it's so right. and just the and the know that in your field too the hustle is real and it pays off and yeah and so thank well you it can't so it, it it can pay off yeah it can I, you know just just being realistic here you know it doesn't always have plenty of people out there who hustle like crazy and you know just never get that break uh, right. For whatever reason, you know, but you can't get that break unless you do hustle. You know, it's like you can't get the hit unless you step up to the plate. And maybe you've, you know, you've taken 900 swings without a hit and you're ready to just toss in the towel. Well, you know, that's up to you. Maybe you do. But if you think you still got it in you and you can still, you know, take a whack at getting a hit, you got to step up to the plate and take that one more swing every single time. It's, it's hard. And and I'll be I'll perfectly honest with you, you know, listen, I've been, so I've been doing voice work, if you think about it, since I was 21, mm. you know, yeah. um, when I got my first job on the radio there and, and, uh, you know, and, and have been fortunate enough to have been pretty much working nonstop, uh, certainly here in, in Hollywood um, uh, since then, you know, I mean, since I was 21, got on the radio and 10 years on the radio and doing voice work in Cleveland and stuff, and then moved out here in 84, you know, by 1985, I I was working steadily and have been working steadily until uh, three months ago. Yeah. So here we are in September. Yeah. And I lost my last regular daily gig that was paying my bills back at the end of May. And I was voicing the promos for live with Kelly and Ryan. Um, uh, uh, with uh, Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. Um, on ABC. And I'd been doing that gig. I did that gig for like 16, 17 years. Are you, back, st- back are you when still it was, doing adventures in Odyssey? Still doing adventures in Odyssey. That's like the one last thing that I have. And I've been doing that for 30 years, you know, so, and, and it's probably so one of the, you have that a means gig the, still. <laughs> I do have a gig. Thank you for reminding me of that, Cody, because that, and, and that's one of the gigs that is one of those perennial gigs that just probably means more to me just on a personal level and certainly on a spiritual level than, than, than all the other work that I've done combined, you know, and the fact that, that, that the, they're still using my character and that they still hire me, you know, a couple of times a year and I still get to go into the studio and see my good buddies from, from focus on the family. Yeah. Adventures and Odyssey is, uh, is a huge part of my career. And so, yes, thanks for reminding me of that. Um, I appreciate I'm always that. here to remind you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you, dude. Yeah. A, yeah, for thing. You, your dad wanted to be a voice announcer, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's, that's why. In fact, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, my, my folks met when they were working at NBC yeah. in, in Manhattan, in New York City, at 30 Rock. And, and that was in like 1950 or so, 51. And, um, and and so they were both working at NBC. My dad was the head of uh, the uh, tour division, so he worked in guest relations 
and was the manager of the tour division back in like 1952, 53, 54 in there. Um, and he also one summer produced uh, a comedy team called uh, Bob and Ray, uh, which you guys probably haven't heard of, but they were very famous back in those days. Um, and, uh, and my dad's goal, uh, I mean, he liked what he was doing, but his real goal was to want to be an announcer for the network. Yeah. And back in those days, you had to actually go through a program that they had where that they would train you. So you had to audition for this program and then you had to graduate from this program. And even that didn't guarantee that you were gonna get a gig at the network. Well, my dad auditioned for this thing, I think a couple of times and didn't even get into the program and was so discouraged by that. Finally, in 1955, when I was a year old, um, he, he just up and quit NBC and, and moved us to Denver in 1955. And, and so, and, but when he got to Denver, he got a job on the radio and uh, was doing news on the radio in, in Denver. And, and, uh, and I think maybe he had his own uh, music program too. I'm not really sure about that, but I know it was on the radio for a couple of years, at least through 1957 or 58. Um, and then that was the extent of his, his broadcasting career, if you will. But years later, when I got the gig at NBC uh, here in town, um, he would come out to visit me from Florida every so often. And I got to take him down to the network and show him around. And he always got a big kick out of, you know, watching me do my, my network announcing, you know, the stuff, the very stuff that he wanted to do and never got a chance to do. So he sort of got to live vicariously through me and then always got to, I'd take him to the tonight show and he got a big kick out of seeing that and, you know, going backstage and stuff. So, so yeah. Yes, he wanted to do that, never got a chance to really experience that himself, but I think got to experience it um, a bit through me. So that was a real blessing. It's so awesome you were able to give him that opportunity. Yeah, 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 it meant a lot to me, and I know it meant a lot to him. Yes, similar thing for us with our dads. Both of our dads, uh, he, his dad doesn't play, my dad does play a little bit, but still, like, they both kind of always had musical aspirations and we bring them both to the gigs and you know they they get to live vicariously through us like you said excellent yeah no, that's so gig, great it feels really good yeah <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah yeah because you, you want them to see you succeed not right. like <laughs> go down in a ball of flames <laughs> yep which they've seen which many they many times oh, i know it's painful isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So cool. Yeah, it gets better. It really does. We promise. <laughs> they also hear us yeah. in the basement. So they, <laughs> yeah, they know they the lowest of lows. And the highest of right. highs. <laughs> right, right, right. That's so great. Yeah. Well, both my boy, I've got four kids and and uh and two stepsons as well. But um I've got two boys and two girls of my own and and both my boys are musicians. Yeah. Uh, my oh, wow. my oldest, he plays yeah, he plays bass and guitar and he's a recording engineer and and uh, yeah, his whole family, his wife and and um, two of their three boys are are very, very accomplished musicians. Um, his wife is a pianist and uh, and uh, and their uh, two boys, the the uh, they've got a boy who's seventeen, and he plays um, a baritone, which is a small tuba um, and piano as well. Uh, and then their youngest son, who's uh, who's fifteen, now uh, plays piano like a, a concert pianist. It's yeah. unbelievable to me. And he plays sax 
in the marching band. So he and his bigger brother, they, they both play in the marching band. It's a very, very musical family. And then my youngest son is a drummer and a, a killer drummer. So where they got these musical chops, I'm not quite sure because I'm not a musician. I got a bunch of hand drums yeah. uh, and stuff, but, uh, but yeah, I don't play anything else. That's and cool. uh, yeah, neither did, did their mom. So well, you raised, sure where it came from. But you raised them right. You right. Got, you got that. Well, right. you know what I did? You okay. know what I did is I, I filled the house with instruments is what I did. That's what I Cause I, cause, and Cause it was sort of a feeling for me like, so if we get a piano or if I, you know, and, and I had a flute at the time, which I still have, but I thought if I get, if I get a saxophone and I get a clarinet and I, you know, I get a, 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 a violin, which I don't have, um, but I get these various instruments and, a, you know, and a guitar and a bass and just have them around and the kids are growing up with them. Who knows what, maybe one of them might pick something up and go, oh, this is kind of fun. You know, and that's exactly what happened with both my boys. Yeah, it's awesome. Like I said, I try to do that with my daughter. I have a, a piano set up right by her toys for her to play with. I let her play my bass and the drums. We have a trumpet that she tries to blow into. and She's one. Yeah, yeah she, there you go. She'll be two in a couple months. She can oh, find that's so great. C. It's wild. Cody be like, <laughs> Cody, that's... C. Like, that is so great. Keep doing that. Listen, one of my favorite pictures I've got of my youngest son who's... 36 now he uh, um i got a picture he's the drummer i got a picture of him when he was i'm guessing like maybe five or six sitting at a muppet baby's drum kit that we got him. <laughs> yeah that's awesome <laughs> picture it now <laughs> yeah and he's wearing a he got he's got a cowboy hat on. It's, it was great <laughs> it's, it's wild to see that it's wild to see where kids go and like yeah. we're gonna have to uh, do a gig with one of your kids. Yeah, one yeah day. let's let's book them in Cleveland. There you go. Um, there you go. Uh, what was I gonna say on that? Uh, it's escaping my mind. But you know, kind of growing up thinking about rhythm and using it for for your career, you know, and having hand drums and just having it around, you know, I think it's innate. Mm -hmm. People pick up on rhythm when it's. One of the things when I teach, because I teach voiceover as well. Um, one of the things that I teach and, and I bring up in a, in a class setting uh, is I always try and find who the musicians are in the class because I find a real, um, a, a real connection between uh, people who are musically inclined and have a great sense of rhythm and, and, but a great sense of pitch as well uh, are often the ones that can find themselves excelling uh, or succeeding uh, to some degree uh, in voiceover and certain, and especially in promo, if you can believe it. Yeah. Because promo is so much about timing and, 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 and have, and just these little nuances of shifting time from one, one take to the next, Yeah. you know? And so it's always interesting to me, the, the watching the folks who are musically inclined, uh, and, or are musicians, um, Watching them perform, uh, even if they've never done it before, as opposed to people who, who like have no musical ability, you know, not much of a sense of pitch uh, or timing and that kind of thing, because all of this plays really innately and intimately into voiceover for sure. That's very interesting. Um, I brought up my little brother earlier, the gamer. His name's Justice. Um, yeah. He is. He's justice. He, yeah. He's honk. 20. 
Honk <laughs> if you love justice. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Right? <laughs> that's that's perfect. I love justice, and you tell him that. <laughs> um, he's 20 years old, and he's kind of uh, – wants to get into voice acting i was just curious if you had any advice i know it's it was a different time when you broke in but i was just curious sure. if you had any just general advice for him as far as that right now he is my apprentice doing plumbing <laughs> so he's uh-huh. not enjoying that as much so. yeah i'll bet so yeah sweating pipes maybe isn't as much as <laughs> yep isn't, isn't as much fun as sweating it in he, front of a microphone he doesn't like getting into cabinets <laughs> yeah yeah i hear you so so there's a there's a, a voice actor named D. Bradley Baker, who is very prolific, just monstrously talented, and a terrific human being. And D has a website called I want to be a voice That's the first place I would send justice. Uh, have him look up D's website called I want to be a voice It's free. It's just all kinds of um uh, information and materials and stuff for him to look into. Uh, it's a great place to start. Um, uh, other than that, you know, there are just bunches. First of all, uh, if he's really interested in it, you know, have him listen to as many demos, voiceover demos, uh, as he can get his hands on. And you can usually go to an agent's website. Like if you go to DPN's website, um, that's my agent, or you go to SBV or, you know, look up who the big voiceover agents are, uh, either here in LA or in New York or Chicago and, and, and then go to their website and just listen to, listen to demos and listen to what these people do and have him try and just narrow down what he thinks might be his, um, his range and his type. Okay. Um, and 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 start there. Uh, then uh, get a decent microphone. You guys, uh, you guys have a couple of uh, decent microphones there. Have them get a decent microphone, decent pair of, pair of headphones. And no, they're good. Those are Shures. They're, they they're are. the. Uh, he was giving me the look like they're. Not. I was just. I just like. Thank you, I like to tease Dave, but you, you had his back. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are those are good mics. So so yeah, have, just have them get a decent mic, a decent USB mic if you want. Doesn't even have to be an XLR mic like you got there. Um, pair of headphones and his laptop and, or, you know, desktop and, and just start, just start recording himself, getting used to his own voice, you know, and have him, have him, like I said, you know, pick some demos that he feels might be sort of his type and have him just try and mimic those and see if he can do it. See if he likes it, see if it comes naturally to him. Um, like doing and a cover then at song. Some point, I'm sorry. Like doing a cover song. It's like doing a cover song. Yeah. Um, but again, at some point he's going to want to not try and just mimic these people. He's going to want to start to try and dig deep inside himself to try and find his own voice. And how would I read it? Not reading it like him, but how would I do it? If I just had this script in front of me, this is how I would do it, you know, and then keep doing that over and over. I imagine that in Cleveland, that's been a long time since I've been gone, but I know that there are. Uh, at least a couple agents there. Um, and there probably are workshops, pr- I would guess professional voiceover workshops um, or voiceover training of some sort uh, in Cleveland. It's a big enough market. Um, have them start getting involved in that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and then down the road, he might want to look at some of the casting websites that are online 
you know, like um, voices, not voices, but uh, voice one, two, three. Uh, there's there are a bunch of them. Um, the only problem with those is they're typically pay to play. So you've got to pay, you've got to join these websites in order to even just get the auditions. Okay, you kind of want to avoid that if you can, um, and get an actual agent there in town, a real human being that you're not paying, uh, except your 10% when you when you get a gig. So that's what I would do. You know, just, you know, Cleveland's, I'm sure, a big enough market that he can, he can find a voiceover workout group or a workshop or, a, or just a voiceover training of some sort. Um, and then, you know, at some point he'll want to put together a demo uh, when he thinks he's ready and when an instructor thinks he's ready um, and he'll want to go try and get an agent there in town. That's what I would do. And awesome. then take it from there. Just see where it goes, you know. That's really sound advice. I really appreciate you diving in deep for that. Of course, man. Yeah. Check out D. Bradley Baker's website. I want to be a voice actor.com. It's a great place to start. What about your teaching? Um, do you want to, you want to plug that at all? Or is there any way he could get involved in that? You guys? You no, know? you know, to be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. It's not something um, I, I only teach for just a, uh, actually only one outfit up in uh, Sausalito up in the Bay area. Um, and I teach for them basically twice a year, but with the pandemic, it's all been sort of odd because it's been online. Um, so I've had to get used to teaching online and who knows, you know, now that I'm now, now that I've lost this last gig of mine, except adventures and odyssey, um, uh, you know, I may find myself in a, in a position, a situation where I, I might have to, you know, start teaching more and start taking on some students, in which case I could do that online very easily. Um, but I've got other stuff I'm trying to kind of concentrate on now and, and different direction that I'm thinking I want to head. And so I want to give that a shot first. Um, audio books. <laughs> audio books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Um, any you would like to share? Anything else? No, any of those directions that you would like to like to share? I don't know if you're. Ever... Oh, yeah. So, so well, yeah. You know, when I moved out here in 1984, I did not come out here to do voiceover. Right. I did not come out here to do cartoons or network TV promos or even commercials. The only reason that I, because when I was at that last job, that last radio station that I was at. And I, I had put together a really strong demo um, as I was leaving the radio station for my career that I thought was just going to be in Cleveland there and sort of in the Midwest. So I wanted a really strong demo to, to be able to sell myself. Well, that's the demo I ended up taking out here to L.A. And that's the demo that got me my first agent two weeks after I moved here. I got very lucky very quickly. Um be, because of that demo, I knew that I could get work doing uh, voiceover work to some degree, not what it ended up turning into, of course, but, but I thought I can get, I can make a little money on the side while I'm trying to get my on-camera career, acting career going, because that's why I came out here. I wanted to do movies and TV shows. I mean, that, that was really my goal, was to be an actor on camera, a face actor, not a voice actor. Well, as it turned out, so I ended up getting an agent for my on-camera stuff, the theatrical stuff, 
but it, but it was like I was beating my head against a wall to try and get any traction going with the on-camera stuff. You know, I did a few small things. Six months after I moved here, I did a little part in a movie with Tommy Lee Jones. And my my only scenes, and they were like two scenes, or actually basically one scene, you know, and I just had like uh, two lines or three lines in this thing, but they were with Tommy Lee Jones. So I got to shoot overnight on this location with him. So that was a real, you know, a, a, a real um, trip for me. <laughs> uh, and so I thought that my theatrical career was going to kind of take off from that point. It didn't. And, 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 and so it was, it was just more, it was more frustrating than anything else trying to get the on camera thing going. Conversely, the voiceover thing, it's like, I wasn't even trying to do it. And it was just chasing me down. You know, it's like uh, I was booking so much yeah. within about six months. I was booking so much from everything that I was auditioning for. I got my first cartoon series. So six months after I moved here, within 10 days, it was in the spring of 1985. I got that little part in a movie with Tommy Lee Jones. It was called Black Moon Rising. I got my first on-camera national network TV spot uh, for Kraft Barbecue Sauce. Um, which made me a ton of money. <laughs> That's <laughs> all. And I got my first um, role in a cartoon, something I never even thought about doing, but my agent just sent me on an audition for Inspector Gadget. And they were cre they had created this character called Corporal Cape Man. And I went and auditioned for this thing. I thought, I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I thought it's acting. And I used to be on the radio and I used to do silly characters on the radio. Uh, I mean, see what it, you know, see what it's about. So the gal, the casting director, she, uh, she hand me a sheet of paper that had a picture of the character on it. And like, I felt like instantly once I saw this character, I knew what he sounded like. So I did that for her. She recorded me on this little, you know, Radio Shack cassette deck on her desk in her office. And, and that was it. That was my audition. And two days later, I got an, I got a call from my agent saying that I booked this part on this cartoon series. And it was for the last 10 episodes of Inspector Gadget. And I thought, wow, this is crazy. And so all those, those three things all happened within 10 days. Wow. Uh, and, and that was six months after I moved here. Dave, we're moving so, to LA, pack your bags. <laughs> yeah, right? So, so uh, you know, I don't know why it happened the way it happened. Yeah. It just It just did, you know? But so I found that the voiceover thing kind of had a life of its own. Right. It was, I was, and, and after I got that Inspector Gadget, then I got in at Hanna-Barbera and started booking shows over there. And I was started booking series after series after series. This cartoon thing ended up taking off. I started getting some commercial accounts voiceover. Um, the promo thing didn't come along until much later in 1993. But, but it's like the, the voiceover thing was really sustaining me. After a couple of years of beating my head against a wall with the on-camera thing, I just gave up entirely. I just quit and just focused all my energy on just voiceover. And that's the way it's been ever since. You know, now I will say that back then for about five or six years, I did, I did quite a few on camera um, TV spots. So that was my only on camera work, but like movies and TV shows just was not happening. And, and, and so all the voiceover and all the on camera TV commercials, those were all coming from my same agents. And, and, uh, and so I just went with what was working. So that's a long way of answering your question about 
you know, what are what's some my thinking now? Well, now it seems as though my voiceover career has kind of gone. You know, it didn't just stop altogether. You know, it sort of tapered off over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I've been getting sort of less and less and less work, but I've always been working at least daily ever since 1985 here in town. Okay, so this is the first time that I don't have some sort of regular gig here. And um, so now I'm thinking, well, it just sort of feels like, you know, maybe what God is saying to me is that my voiceover thing is done. And now it's time to turn my my um, focus back to why I came out here in the first place. And that's the on-camera stuff. So now as an older actor, as you know, what would be a character actor now, I certainly won't be the, you know, 30 or 35 year old that I was back then. And I'm 68. And, but I still have a lot of energy and I still got a lot of youthfulness and I and still you, got my you talent. St you still look good too. <laughs> Bye, thank you. Yeah. Even with this, you see my pimple on prom night. This is my, <laughs> This is my prom night pimple, right? <laughs> right there that I grew just for you guys because I knew this was coming up today. Oh, um, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, pals. Ah. Um, so I'm thinking, so I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's time to, you know, sort of shift my gears and maybe start thinking about um, pursuing for reals uh, why I came out here to begin with. So, you know, and who knows? Yeah. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. And if it doesn't, then, then it's time to start thinking. Then I might start thinking about, okay, how can I give back? And maybe in the teaching, uh, the voiceover thing, you know, I could sort of do that in my sleep. And, um, you know, and I could do that. Um, but I'm not ready to retire. I'm not, I, I don't, I, I couldn't imagine myself ever retiring. I don't know what that looks like right, or means. Same. I, I just have too much, <laughs> I just have too much energy still. I just got to find a place to focus it and 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 direct it. So, well, so you, that's you got my vote as the live action last Ronin actor. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll put my card in. Hey, there you go. Yeah, you know, listen. On that note, uh, and you guys tell me to shut up whenever you got to get going no, here. But on that no. note, I've often thought about talking to to Kevin Eastman about um, about taking the four of us original voices. Yeah, and and sticking us into one of these live action Ninja Turtle movies that comes out just in a little like cameo, right. but like, but not build. We wouldn't be in the credits. It would just be, you know, like a little quick, like 10 second, 15 second. The, 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 the image that always keeps coming back to my mind is, you know, have us, cause we all can sing, have us like a doo-wop group. Uh, you know, standing on a street corner under a street lamp one night, you know, as action is going on in the foreground, but it goes by these four guys who are, you know, just doing a little doo-wop singing, you know, and they're, they're on a little singing and they're off and boom, that's it. This is a little Easter egg thing. Cause I think fans, I know fans would go ape for that yeah they just agreed <laughs> yeah if if they even recognized it you know but 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 it would have to be one of those like real subtle little you know easter egg things kind of in the background you know and i think that that would be great i i think i know that the four of us would have a blast doing that you know and i know that seth rogan is doing this yeah. next live yeah. action picture that's coming out so i wanted to ask kevin that when i saw him down at san diego but he was he was pretty busy and it was just a hi how are you I haven't seen you in a while and a quick hug you know, so I didn't have a chance to 
say anything, but yeah. So I, I think that, you know, doing something like that would be a blast. That's awesome. Well, if we, if we speak to Kevin again, we're definitely throwing it out there for you. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, well, thanks. But now that's really cool. That's like, I think, I think it's a beautiful circle to the journey you started with. And I think thanks, with man. all the energy you have and all the, the miles you put into riding the wave of the career, I think it's going to pan out. And you, wow, dude, Dave, thank you for that. I appreciate hearing that. I really do. I do. Yeah. It's, you're such an animated fun. Like this whole conversation is, I haven't even looked at it. It's been two hours and which is, amazing. it really it has. And yeah. like, but it, oh, it's I, past my bedtime. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to, you're going to nail it. I know it. So thank Thanks. you. Thank you so much for spending all this time with us. This has been awesome. My pleasure. Uh, my pleasure. You guys really. That, um, like yeah. it's interesting because we uh during the shutdown, the I'm sure you're familiar with the grog shop and the Beachland Ballroom. Was that around? Beachland might not have been around, um, but the grog shop had the grog been. shop. That that sounds familiar. Yeah, Isn't why like Coventry? Um, no, it, where was it before Coventry? Yeah, Do you yeah. Remember? Okay. Yeah, I think it was over in Coventry. Yeah, I think it was just because that used to be sort of my old hang. Yeah, you know the. That disco station I was talking about yeah. in 76 and 77 was at the corner of Cedar and Lee. Oh, okay. We just played we there. We just played there. Top. Yeah. They Not a week a, ago. Really? Yeah, they have a music festival where they make it kind of like Beetle Street, right? So all Beetle. Beetle, yeah. Beetle Street. That's what I said. You said Beetle. Oh, okay. My bad, my bad. <laughs> Beetle's Street. You got to separate them. Yeah, yeah. That voice acting tip number one. Annunciate. Or it's a Beatles, or it's a Beatles treat. <laughs> or it's a but. <laughs> But they right. they have music all up and down Lee and all these oh, bars cool. and stuff and you can go to a jazz yeah. guy or the, the loud yeah. bar we were in <laughs> or like, um, but uh, uh we used to stream for these venues during 2020 to keep like them going and we did a ton of fundraisers to keep like local art galleries open and local venues open and like and right. we would go there and stream but that latency. Oh my God, it was the worst. Uh, and like, we, it's, we spent a year trying to figure out latency. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. More insight. This is sure. double, double insightful. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad. Yeah, oh, thank so you good. so much, Townsend. We really, like, we appreciate this time so much. Yeah, you don't even know. We've my, been geeking about it all week. Like, <laughs> my, my pleasure, you guys. And I know, Cody, you gave me a copy of your, uh, your album. Yeah, I and, did. Uh, I, I I hate to say I'm embarrassed to say I have not had a chance to or I've not taken a chance to pop it in a CD player and actually listen to it. But I will. I promise, especially after this time with you guys. I will. Awesome. It's 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 your band that both of you yes. are on, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Right. I play. And tell bass. me what you guys play. I play bass. bass. He plays guitar and sings. He's more the songwriter. And um, okay, we've been playing since he was 12 and I was 15. And there you go. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's, it's great. been really cool and like. Um, that record that I'm sure he gave you gave him burn right yeah. is like our kind of proudest moment so far, and All right. um, it's kind of like if he it's funk punk reggae blues rock, um, so if any of those hit home and it's a lot of acoustic, uh, twelve string guitars ran through like Marshall amps, it's that's weird. great. Where did you guys record it? Um, at a it's a place called RCR in Solon, and okay, it's a small little basement studio. But my buddy hey. there, he does. He does. I calls. used to. Yeah. I used to love going out to Solon. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I'm out yeah. There every fall now. we would go out there when they buy you know maple syrup and the fall and the fall leaves were yep. falling and so Solon was always a, a great destination to take the kids to. 
Right, right. It's a, it's a nice but quaint. You, but, you, but you guys live over, you're on the, over on the west side, right? right yeah, we're right. more west side. So it's about, what, it's 30, 40-minute 40 40 drive. drive to the studio? Um, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. But with the guy we work with is really, like, he keeps us in check. And uh, yeah, he's the type of, he, he's recorded audiobooks. So uh-huh. he's the type of guy that has the patience for that. So he has the patience <laughs> for us is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to listening to it. I definitely will. Well, we really appreciate that. I didn't even expect it to make it home with you. Honestly, when I give those CDs out con- at, at cons, I, there's so much going on. And I most of the time, I just expect it to end up accidentally in the mix of things. Let me tell you. You guys, I, I have received so much stuff from fans over the years at these yeah. cons, and I have kept all of it. Wow. Even even the drawings, even the yeah. pencil drawings from the little kids. When the families come and they're all in Ninja Turtle outfits, mom and dad and the, 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 the two to- toddlers and then the one in the stroller, and they're all in Ninja Turtle outfits. Oh. You know, and they'll, they'll yeah. give me something, you know, and one of the kids will, you know, draw a little picture for me and stuff. I, I've kept it all over the years. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's so great to hear. Yeah. Well, man, yeah. thank you so, so much. This, this, My just pleasure. this conversation was so insightful and beautiful, and we really appreciate that time, your time. And uh, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, guys. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.